Welcome to another episode of Rad Talk with Tracy. I'm your host, Tracy Poffenroth Prado. This podcast is all about reactive attachment disorder, or RAD. I'm going to be talking with parents who will be sharing their experiences of what it's like raising a child with RAD. It gets raw and it gets real. I'm also going to be talking with experts from different areas who will be sharing information about RAD, resources, and support. I'm glad you're here. Let's get started. Welcome back, listeners. I'm just going to say it. I'm starstruck today. My guest today is infamous in the world of reactive attachment disorder and therapeutic parenting, and her name is Nancy Thomas. Nancy is not a doctor, not a psychiatrist or therapist. She is, however, a remarkable mom who, through years of research, study, and experience, found solutions to parenting challenging children. Nancy is a therapeutic parenting specialist. She's the founder of Families by Design and has one of the highest success rates in the country, turning violent children around. She has shared her life and home for over 35 years with severely emotionally disturbed children with RAD, ADD, ADHD, ODD, OCD, Tourette syndrome, trauma disorder, and bipolar. Nancy is also an internationally known author and educator. She has trained over 55,000 parents and professionals in her powerful parenting methods. In her books, videos, and workshops, Nancy shares methods that are helping children to learn to be respectful, responsible, and fun to be around within homes across the world. She also gives back to the community through her nonprofit organization, Stop America's Violent Children. Nancy, welcome, welcome, welcome. Oh, thank you, Tracy. I'm honored to be here and excited. I just think it's so wonderful what you're doing to help out there and so many are drowning with these children. So you're a lifeline. I'm glad to be here. Thank you so much. And I feel the same way about you. <laughs> so Nancy, let's just get right to it. Talk about what you do. Well, I work with abused parents is how I make it short. <laughs> right. Because <laughs> uh, they're abused by the children, yeah. emotionally, physically, verbally, the parents who love these very challenging children take a lot of hits. And so my life has been about finding solutions to help the children to stop being so aggressive and ugly and hateful and get on track so they can have a happy life and their parents can heal from the broken heart they have from the child. So right. that's what I do. That's what you do. Well, that does not sound like an easy job. No, not easy, but exciting. And you've been doing it a long, long time. I have. Yeah. Well, and in the bio, it said 35, but it's actually 48 years. Oh, my gosh. I've been doing this, working <laughs> with the tough ones, wow. the defiant ones. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. A lot of years. And you have a lot of passion for that. What drew you to the tough ones? It's, it's the hurt they cause or the hurt they feel, all of it. The challenge of it. Yes. Yeah. My great, great uncle was Clyde Beatty, and you're way too young to know Clyde Beatty, but he was a lion tamer, very famous lion tamer back in the day. And so my family for generations has been taming cats. I just like the two-legged cats. <laughs> and finding a solution for a hate-filled child yeah. to be able to reach for peace and reach for love is just, to me, more exciting than winning the lottery. I love being there when they start to feel love for the first time, when they start to embrace the concept that they have this amazing mother who loves them with her whole heart and is their solution rather than is the enemy. To me, nothing more exciting. It gives me goosebumps. I love my job. I love oh, it. Nancy, I'm sitting here with goosebumps. That is fantastic. I'm, I'm just blown away. And I... I love what you said about, and I think it's so powerful what you just said about the mother being the solution and for the child to recognize that and for that even to be a possibility for the child to do that because you know this, we're the nurturing enemy and that is not a norm for us, at least parents living with reactive attachment disorder. That just feels impossible. Yeah. And when you live with them 
and you start to go down the quicksand they've created, yeah. you start feeling like it's impossible. And that's why I'm so glad you're there because they need this lifeline to know these children absolutely can heal. And when we have the right toolbox, we can pull them out of quicksand and get them. They can do great in school. They can do great out in the world as adults. They don't have to be criminals and prostitutes and whatever horrible things out there. Right. What's the secret? How do you do that? The secret? Yeah. Well, my book is called When Love is Not Enough. But the secret is love. So they don't want it. It's like you have a child with a heart transplant, okay? And they have to take anti-rejection medication, okay? Right. And they don't want it. It tastes bad. So they're not going to take their medication. And they're dying. And you can't find a way to get them to take their medication. Love is their medication, but they don't want it. And so I had to find ways over the years to sneak the love in sideways, upside down, inside, whatever, <laughs> for the whole thing to work because love itself wasn't enough. It was how do you get the love in there? Right. And how do you keep the love going when it's almost impossible? Right. So I asked one mother to, you know, pull her child up in her arms and, you know, just give him a cuddle. And she said, I feel like you're asking me to hug a rattlesnake. Yeah. And I, I pictured that and I'm like, yeah, you know, to some moms, that's what this feels like, hugging the enemy. But I like to picture we're hugging a grizzly bear and turning him into a teddy bear rather mm. than a rattlesnake. <laughs> that is yeah. great because you're right. As a parent, once you go down that path and like you say, you live with it for a long time, it's the parent is just as traumatized and hugging the enemy. What you said there, uh, that's exactly, it's just as hard for the parent to put themselves after being hurt so many times over and over to even want to do that back too. Right. Yes. Yeah. We all get defensive when we get hurt deeply yeah. and we get hurt deeply enough. Our defenses are up so much that some parents don't even want to look at their child again. And I often get that question, what do you do when you want to help the child and you can't stand them? And it's like, well, we need to soften our hearts back, realizing this is a super sick child. And I look at them like a child who has the stomach flu and they're throwing up. Okay, If we have a child who's got the flu and they're throwing up, we don't get mad at them. Even if they throw up on our new shoes or in our new car or something, we're like, oh, man, you know, we're bummed out. <laughs> but we just, you know, clean it up, get them some Pepto-Bismol or ginger ale or whatever treatment, you know, and we continue to love them. Exactly. Our children throw up with their words. They mm. throw, it's, it's ugly and it stinks, just like the vomit stinks. But they throw up with their words. And instead of taking it to my heart over and over and over, I literally would stand facing the child, and when they start vomiting with their words, I literally would turn my shoulders just a teeny bit, my heart side, away so that the, the arrows are shooting at me, the vomit they're shooting right. at me is flying past. Because, like, you know what? I'm not those things. There may have been a birth mother that was those things, but mm -hmm. I am not those things. So exactly. I let it fly right past me rather than making me defensive. And that was one of the things that helped me to stay on track because we do have to stand strong. We have to stand yes. firm. Yes. And if we're going down because we've gotten so many hits and we're like, oh, you broke my heart. Yes. They're like, oh, you look at how weak you are. You're going to become even more of a target. Exactly. And you're so depleted and you have to, you have to take care of yourself just as much. Absolutely. To be able to stand in that. And that's great that you did something physical to shield your heart and make it real that way and protect yourself. I think that's fantastic. Well, it's just one of the things as a mom, yeah. I was always looking for solutions. And the great thing is I love coming up with solutions. And my children were awesome at coming up with problems so I could come <laughs> up with solutions. <laughs> and the neat thing about parenting this group is if you do it wrong parenting, they will kindly repeat the behavior over and over for you Very until true. you get it right. So Very true. <laughs> Very true. What are things you help parents do or tell them to do to to separate themselves like it sounds like you're saying you almost have to separate the child from the illness or the disorder or whatever you want to call it 
it's the disorder, not the child kind of thing. But how do you, what do you tell parents or what's some advice or strategies for parents to stay strong when they are down? Oh, that's a good question because we do have to stay strong and not get down. And you mentioned taking care of yourself. That's absolutely, you know, having a date night or at least one afternoon or one evening a week where your child can go to respite, where they're taken care of with somebody who's trained rather than they're not. And, you know, you come home and they're sicker. Right. If they do Disneyland with our children, what would you like to eat? Where would you like to go? What would you like to watch on TV? You know, then we come home and the child's like, oh, my goodness. I was scary there. There was no leadership. I had to make all the choices because that lady didn't know what she was doing. You know, so we need a great respite provider. And with a child over five, I always recommend one long weekend a month for parents to be able to catch up on their sleep, to just not have to be so hypervigilant because we are hypervigilant. When we have a sick child, they lie, they steal, they break things, they grab another child, they kick a dog. You know, so we have to watch every second. Where is he? What's he doing? What's she up to? You know, and we need time to just not have to be in the war zone, in the front Mm -hmm. line of the battle and having a respite provider where we can take a break and they step up so that we're recharging and can bounce back. We've gotten some time to just chill and come up with some new strategies really makes a difference. Absolutely. That was important for me. Another really, really important thing for me was having a support, a personal support system. Right. My cowboy, we've been married 47 (laughs) years and uh, (laughs) he's incredible. And he, always was ready to give me a hug. And for me, that's the most powerful recharge between prayer and hug. I could keep on going, you know, and he would look and say, you know what? You look like you need a hug. And he'd open his arms and pull me in there. And it's like recharging a battery. When somebody hugs you who understands your exhaustion level, there's nothing like it. Nothing like it. Yeah. It's true. So a million questions are popcorning in my brain. Often, talking with parents, a lot of things come up about parents are tired and it's a lot of work, but there's a lot of excuses around taking that respite. So it is so important because the more that you do it, the more sustaining uh, you can be and healthy and you separate and you have your life. But a lot of times it's easy to let that go or not do it. And you know, I find I hear a lot, well, I don't know who I could leave them with. There's nobody that could, uh, I wouldn't want to put that stress on anybody. So an excuse about it's, it's almost harder to find the respite or the worry about leaving them with someone and the guilt of what that might do to them. And then I think a lot of parents just don't do it. Oh, you're exactly right. <laughs> we do tend to worry about the respite provider. Yeah. However, what I found consistently is child with rad is going to show their true self to mom. Okay. Dad may see a really great dad who's really teamed up with mom may see up to 50% of it. Usually they see about 10% Mm -hmm. of the real behavior of the real, real child. Okay. But out in the world, they don't see it. Our children know how to put up a mask of super cuteness. Right. They go to the respite provider and, oh, can I help you wash your dishes? You're my favorite respite provider. I love your house. You know, and they pour on <laughs> <Yes>. the charm. <laughs> they, they do. sure do. And, uh, yeah. So they don't ever see the same level that the mom gets behind wow. closed doors alone. So I don't worry about the respite provider, but I do want one who's not going to fall for the manipulation and the conning because then my child won't feel safe. Right. They cast adults. And if they can manipulate and con an adult, they won't feel safe and they have to feel safe. That is right. like number one key to healing yeah. these children. They feel safe all yes. day and all night. And if they can manipulate and con somebody, they don't get better. They don't heal. They don't heal. And you know, that's a really no. good a really good point. You know, I always talk about boundaries and setting those boundaries with the respite person before the children get there. So another thing came up for me when you were talking about your incredible cowboy, not everybody's husband is aware, self-aware or aware or understanding 
those are tough situations that sometimes the, the partner or the wife doesn't have the support at home. Absolutely. We see this a lot. We do family bonding camps and that's the number one problem that I see between couples right. is that the one who's home, and I call that one mom, whether it's a female or a male, okay. the primary caregiver, and we have some great dads doing the mommy, yes. okay, but whoever is doing that primary caregiving is the one the child's going to show their true self to. So the secondary, whoever works and comes home, they don't see the whole thing. And so they're like, I'm dealing with the child I see. I don't see what you're talking about. We as humans believe what we see mm -hmm. over believing what we hear. So it isn't that they're inept or clueless or stupid or something. It's like, this is what I see. So I'm treating the child the way that I see it. And you're treating the child this way, but the child I see shouldn't be treated that way. You know, so it causes a lot of havoc. Right. One of the things we did many years ago before there were all kinds of great camera equipment and things like we have now was a dad drove his car around, you know, like he was leaving from work. Bye, honey. You know, drove off and hit his car around the block and snuck back in the house and sat in the closet huh. and listened to what was going on wow. when he was not there. Wow. And it was about five, maybe 10 minutes. He stepped out. He was like, oh, my goodness. I had no idea. Wow. I am so sorry. Hugged his wife, asked forgiveness, and then they were a team. And when the parents are a team, the child will hate them both equally. Yeah. And then the healing can begin. Right. But as long as they've got dad as their pal or their buddy because they're manipulating him and he doesn't see it, then they can get that standing against mom going longer instead yeah. of, wait a minute, I'm off track here. Even dad says mom's a great lady and mm -hmm. she's awesome. So maybe I need to step up my changes and my healing rather than blaming it on mom, blaming it on this person or that person. I'm the one who needs to work on change. So yeah, that worked, but with cameras and stuff we've got now, right. wow. <laughs> right. That's very true. You can see what's happening. I love that. You know, I almost think that's better than cameras, actually being present and hearing it and seeing it, not just watching it, but being there. Wow. That, that was a really smart thing to do. Well, and the little guy, when, when dad walked out of the closet, it was like Superman coming out of the phone booth, you know, and the little guy's jaw hit the floor. He's like, oh, busted. so busted. <laughs> So busted. Awesome. You know, it's it's kind of sad that we have to do stuff like this, but I mean, it's necessary to heal and to see it. Like you're saying, we see the child we see in that moment. Yeah. yeah. Is every rad child able to heal or do all of them heal with the right therapy? Are there, is, is there sometimes it's just not possible? I have to believe there's hope for every child. Mm -hmm. I have found that as long as they're breathing, there's yeah. hope. After that, there's really little chance of doing any bonding. If they're yeah, not breathing, right. it's too late. Okay. I'm with you. I'm with you. I yeah. think there's always a chance as if they get everything they need. Yes, yeah. that's it. They've got to get what they need. Yeah. And you mentioned therapy. We do need a great therapist on the team who understands RAD, who knows how to treat. And we don't have enough. Right no. now we have eight in the entire United States. There are eight that I would recommend a parent to go to. You're kidding that me. Stinks. That stinks. We have over sucks. a million children with RAD. Yeah. So what I'm going to do is change that. Good. I have my, my nonprofit, Stop America's Violent Youth. We call it Savvy. Or okay. Savvy. S-A-V-Y. And... My board of directors and I are working on a training to train more therapists. And as Brilliant. I move into retirement, I'm going to go into partial retirement soon. That's where my time and energy is going to go into getting more professional help that knows what they're doing. Because a bad therapist, an untrained therapist, I should say, it causes more harm than good. It causes more harm than good. Absolutely. When they take one of our sick children behind closed doors and leaves mom and dad out in the waiting room, our child's in there manipulating, conning, and fine-tuning their ability to lie. 
and making a fool out of the parents. You paid yeah. this person to help me right. and they believed my lies. So we cannot have people doing that. We need to have a lot more professionals. So I have a, a list of names. We've got, I think we've got about 450 professionals now that want to take the training that have, you know, put their name on the list. When you get your dates and prices and whatever together, let me know. And uh, it's going to be international. We're going to train. Canada needs more. England needs more. There's a lot of countries that are really screaming for help. South Africa has zero help. So we've yeah. got therapists coming from everywhere for the training will be mostly online. And I want that yeah. to sink in. There are eight therapists in the United States. That are skilled enough to save a right. child with RAD. Right. Yeah. So eight. And how many children with RAD? Oh, over a million. Yeah. 14%. In the last research study, 14% of all the children in the United States have RAD. And that's huge. Huge. I'm shaking my head. Yeah. I mean, that disparity is beyond alarming. And it just speaks to why these families, my family, our families are struggling so much. I'm so I'm glad you're taking action. And that brings me so much comfort. And I'm sure listeners are feeling the exact same, same sense of comfort because that's a huge daunting task. And I know there needs to be a lot of systemic changes, you know, on all levels. But I mean, if we can get at least the right therapy and access to therapy, what a huge difference you will make. And I'm just, I'm so grateful to hear that because not only is it private therapists, it's therapists within the residential treatment centers, acute uh, inpatient facilities, the ERs, they need to be everywhere. Absolutely. And that's why you are so important and your podcast is so important, bringing that awareness, not only the help and the support for the parents, but awareness to teachers that are drowning in the classroom because they have no right. idea why they can't get control of the student right. because they have RAD and they have the wrong toolbox. Right. And, you know, therapists are like, oh, I'm not making any progress with this child. It must be the parents doing it wrong. Right. It's like, no. You have the wrong toolbox. Exactly. So getting the toolbox to everybody. Huge, huge, huge. Yeah. 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 And especially for them too, because as a therapist, you know, you want to feel like you can help. That's your job is a helping profession and you want to make a difference. You want to see progress. You want to make change and, and help, help everybody heal. And if you can't, it's just as frustrating. And you often know you don't have the tools, but you don't know where to get them either. So (laughs) that is very, very comforting, very comforting. What do you find are the most common things that parents struggle with and how do you help them through that or advice you would have? Most of the parents are struggling with lying in the start and then the lying pretty soon escalates to the stealing and now then we get into the animal being mean to the dog, teasing them and you know, even more cruelty than that. Mm -hmm. So it's behavior that they try to stop. And in the beginning, I used the same toolbox that other parents use. I gave lectures. I gave reminders. So we don't lie in our family. You know, I got angry. We're not tolerating lying and, you know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) that didn't work. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I tried punishment. That's it. Go to your room. Okay. You can't go to soccer because you lied 72 times today. You know, (laughs) I tried punishment. I tried the standard, you know, I tried the sticker charts and the smiling face. Hey, you haven't lied for five minutes. Here's a piece of candy. You know, I tried it. It was stupid and useless. And my children got sicker and sicker. So so I had to come up with effective tools that made a difference. So what I did was I found, I worked with Dr. Foster Klein, who started the Love and Logic program after years and years of working with the super sick ones. He wanted to lay more healthy foundation for normal, healthy children who didn't have trauma-affected brains. So the Love and Logic program is the gold standard of parenting for a normal brain. Right. Absolutely. There's no parenting program better than that for a normal brain. I agree. However... 
our children that are trauma affected do not have normal brains in the beginning. We've got to heal the brain so that they can move into the love and logic, and then it's very effective. So what I built is I took the tools I learned from Dr. Klein and some of the other greats out there and put them together in what I call brain-based behavior interventions, 3BI, where we have them do a brain-shifting action first, whether it's uh, crisscross sit because crossing the midline activates that right. midline of the brain, okay, or jumping jacks, five jumping jacks, not 300, five is all the brain needs to increase the oxygen level, crossing the midline, getting to move from the fight or flight where we get all the arguing and the defensiveness and the bad behavior into the love and logic area in the forehead. So they do a brain shifter. Then they get a hug because we have to co connect while we correct. Okay. Mm -hmm. We've got to do both pieces together. Very and it's important. like, you know, excellent. Your brain's working now. Big hug. I don't say it. I do it. These children learn from what we do not from what we say. And I've always seen that. But then with the research from Dr. Bessel van der Kolk on, re on the trauma-affected brain, the PTSD, yes. then we have documented evidence. They don't learn from words. Exactly. They cannot learn from words. No. So a therapist who takes them in and chats them up is wasting your time and money. So a teacher so. in the classroom is trying to explain things. Yeah. And our kids are like, Ugh. No, you know, mom and dad are giving the lectures and I talk to you about this. Right. Grandmas are going, well, let me talk. Anyway. Yeah. It's in the body. It. It's so, in the body. Yeah. You got it. Mm -hmm. So then we asked the child what happened. Just two words, no shaming, blaming, just what happened. And they have to show the logic part of the brain is actually turned on and working. I lied to you about kicking my brother. Good job telling the truth. No lecture, just another embrace. Okay. That hug is huge, huge, huge for healing the limbic system, the brain where attachment occurs, right? right? Then what act of kindness are you going to do for your brother for hitting him and act of kindness for me for helping you with this? Um, can I rub lotion on your hands? Oh, I would love it. Would you rub <laughs> lotion on my hands? Yes. And what about for your brother? Um, well, I could do his chores for him this afternoon. Well, he would love to take a break while you do his chores. That's an excellent plan. Give him a big hug. So there's no punishment. There's no anger. I used to wear myself out with anger because I thought if I said, clean your room, they didn't clean your room. I said, get in there and clean your room. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I was like, all mm -hmm. day long. And I'm like, I sound like a drill sergeant. Yeah. I don't want to be a drill sergeant. And it never worked. Yeah. And it didn't Absolutely. feel good, right? It doesn't feel good. It doesn't work. Yeah. You got it. Doesn't feel good and it doesn't work. So once we started using that, and you know what? I put it together in a video. If any of your listeners want to see it, they can send me an email, nancy at attachment.org. I will send them the video link free. Oh, wow. As a bonus for listening to your show. Oh, Absolutely. that's fantastic. Thank you. And it'll walk them through exactly how to do it. And people say, you have children who have killed and this is what you do. They just do an act of kindness every time they do some little thing. I say, absolutely. And that's what has worked. That wow. connecting while you're correcting is huge, huge, huge. So they got three hugs every time they do something wrong. <laughs> yeah. They also, you know, have a lot of little extra jobs they're doing, the sweeping the kitchen or rubbing lotion <laughs> yeah. on the hands or whatever. But right. I had an awfully clean house for a lot of years. I bet. That's the bonus. <laughs> You've got to always look at the little payoffs too, right? <laughs> right. right. <laughs> connecting while correcting. I love that. Mm -hmm. That's an easy, yeah. easy one to remember and keep cycling through your head. Yeah. Yes. Got to take care of their heart. Even the toughest, toughest. You mentioned kids that have killed i mean yes. treatable healable yeah recover yes wow. absolutely i have 87 percent success rate with those children wow so i don't have a hundred percent success rate no i'm still looking for answers right but i found a bunch of them yeah yeah, yeah. one little boy who stabbed his two-year-old sister to death he was nine when he came to me and he now has five sons and he's a great dad, and he's been married to the same wonderful lady for, you know, years and years and years. And wow. he calls me all the time. Oh, you know, my son just did a touchdown in football, and I just knew you'd want to know. You know, he's proud of his children, and he's a great, loving dad. He's a normal, healthy, contributing member of society now. 
where at nine, he was pretty much a psychopath. Right. And is he able to talk about that time from a different space now, from a different brain, looking back and analyzing who he was then versus now? Is he able to speak to that? Or do you talk to about that? Oh, we did for a while. We don't anymore. It's time to, you know, let go and move on. Yeah. But even um, my adopted daughter, Beth, one of my daughters, <laughs> she was in an HBO special called Child of Rage. There's a label for your child to arrive with. But right. anyway, she very clearly says, you know, that was my past life. And it's not who I am now. Oh. And I've moved forward, and now my life is about love and care, and I have great friends. And she's been married for, I think it's 12 years now, to a great man. And even though she had been very abusive to animals, she loves her dog and her cat and her babies, you know. And she's terrific and a wonderful daughter. So from the beginning, when I first brought her home, she was from North Carolina, and she would say, Aha, you, so cute. <laughs> with her little North Carolina accent, aha, you, you know, <laughs> when she was six, that was where she was. Sure. And, uh, you know, I got a new hip. What was it? It's nine weeks ago now. Wow. And congrats. she took off work. Oh yeah. Thanks. It's great. They can put all bionic parts in now. Right. It's awesome. But, um, <laughs> I don't know. She took weeks and weeks off of work to come home and stay here. And she, you know, brushed my hair and cooked for me mm. and helped me get to the bathroom and painted my toenails and just loved on me and took care of me straight from her heart. She's a registered nurse, an award-winning registered nurse, and they make a lot of money. And for her to take all that time off of work was, I'm sure, very expensive. And yet, an act of love. So right. from I'll you to I'm going to do everything I can to keep you alive. <laughs> it's a, wow. a giant step. A and giant step. Today. And the reason I point out or bring up those stories is because of the hope. I mean, if it can be that bad and then look at who they are today, uh, that I think that hope is just so important and the possibility just to keep people going and know that that that's possible for everyone. You're right. We need hope. And there are so many beautiful children that have healed Yeah, that, you know, we should probably do a podcast with all of them. <laughs> well, count me in. Yeah. Let's do it. Hey, rad parents. Have you ever wondered how it would feel to tell your story? It just might be your story that changes a life and helps someone. If you'd like to be a guest on the podcast, go to radtalkwithtracy.com, click on the podcast link and apply. There, I heard a little boy one time and I said, how long do you think it'll take you to heal? Because they always know. They really do know. Really? But he said, <laughs> oh yeah. They're like, oh, probably six months, probably four years. And they're always right on. <laughs> Once they get, you know, in a healthy enough spot. To right. Straight. Right. But one little boy said, I can heal. I don't have to keep doing this. I don't have to keep getting restrained in school every day. I'm like, absolutely. You can heal. He said, well, I didn't know that. Really? I'm like, oh my goodness. How many children are out there hopeless yeah. and their parents are hopeless. I know. Like, nah. So I called mm. up a bunch of the moms and dads I'd worked with and asked them to write their story and send me some photos of what their child was like what they did to help them heal and what they're like now. Cause these are children that were all 100% healthy or 150% healthy. Right. Some of them are so amazingly loving, you know, wow. and they did. So I've got that. It's on YouTube. It's free. And it's, you know, like violent children and uh, families that love them, something like that. Anyway, um, it's on there and it's 12 of the families. Yeah. Wow. That's, I think, what we need as parents too, especially in a time of there's really only eight therapists in the country and over a million kids with RAD, most of them being our kids, we're living it, we're struggling. So you hear these stories of hope, but gosh, how is that me? Can that be me? But one thing that families can do, you have these camps, these bonding camps you were talking about. That's something that every family can do. Yes, we've got one in Florida that we do usually twice a year, 
And as I move into retirement, I've got a team down there that's excellent. Teresa Gerard is the therapist that organizes it. And then I have um, Dan and Kathy Crosscreek from Washington State that are going to pass the torch. They're going to take over that. And then they're also doing a camp up in the Northwest in the Washington, Idaho area for folks there. Then I've got Ashley Wright, who's an amazing, amazing mom who turned around two very, very sick grandchildren and has been to camp many, many times. She's taking the California zone and going to run the camps there. So she's coming out to my house next week. We're going to do our last, last camp with me here at my ranch in Colorado. We've got people coming from all over the world. We have a family from South Africa that are coming. Wow. So it's exciting to be hands-on part of working with the children and seeing the healing that can happen so quickly. And the parents get their smile and their laughter back. That oh. I love because I hate seeing the, the deep pain in their eyes when they come. Yeah, um, so that's the last camp that I will be at live. We're going to do like a hybrid where I'll do some, but my doctor won't let me fly anymore. Gotcha. So flying makes it, it's a long drive to Florida. It's a long <laughs> drive. Colorado. Oh my gosh. Yeah, well, so and that was my big question. Everybody is wondering, you know, is Nancy Thomas retiring? And it sounds like from what you've been saying it's semi-retired. So you're still going to be active and you're kind of passing on your legacy to these fantastic people that you've trained and very capable. So everything's going to keep going. Yes. I really want the parents to still have the help. I've retired three times and I'm really awful at it. You've retired three times. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. A parent calls me and their heart's breaking and they're Uh, stopping and I'm like, never mind, bring them on. Right. How do you turn them down? (laughs) Well, and if I didn't have a place to refer them, if there was, I'm like, I can't say, oh, sorry, you've got to drown while I go fishing and do some painting here. No, I can't do it. So having great people I can pass the torch to now, because my heart doctor says, I am not supposed to be stressed. I'm like, do you know who I am? (laughs) (laughs) Hello. (laughs) He says, right. That's why your heart can't take it anymore. And you're going to kill over and have a heart attack in front of some parent. And now really traumatize them all. And I'm like, oh, geez, that'd be horrible. So I'm not flying. Don't do that. And uh, I did my last flight. So we have our last camp where I'm going to be full-time live here at my ranch. And it's full. And great people are coming and my team's yeah. coming. So it's going to be a blast and I'm not supposed to get stressed. <laughs> oh my gosh. It's kind of hard <laughs> in this profession, but <laughs> okay. I know when you love the children and they're mm-hmm. drowning and you see the parents and they're drowning and yeah, it's like, how do you not? Right. But I have an awesome, awesome team. So they're going to take a lot of the load and that'll yeah. be good. Because that's what I'm thinking is I'm thinking, wow, with those stats and then so many families out there struggling and not getting the therapy, what do we do, right? You're part of that. So these camps, your books, your website, just so everybody knows it's attachment.org. And I know there's a lot of information, but do you, I mean, this is kind of an impossible question with stats like that, but what, what do these parents do that are floundering and there isn't enough help besides you? You can't take it all on. I know you want yeah, to. No. <laughs> I've tried. Yeah. I've tried. Yeah. I mostly just did the ones God sent me, but that was thousands and that was fine. Mm-hmm. They were all great people. So what do they do? Well, you have a, a parenting course online. Right. So I filmed me working with children so that people that most of us learn visually mm-hmm. and that's why we put camps together because a lot of people need to see it done and then copy it and then do it in real life. Right. So with the online course, that's also available, you know, Good. and um, it's expensive. Yeah. So I haven't talked to my office staff and they'll shoot me, but I'm going to throw it out there anyway. For anybody on your podcast that wants to take the online course, if they contact me, nancy at attachment.org, I'll give it to them half price. That is amazing. Because 
I want people to get the help. Yeah, so, so generous. I'm still going to do some phone consults. I'll be doing like half days for a while. Okay. And uh, some, you know, a few podcasts and that kind of thing, but less and less. As, mm-hmm. I'm old. I mean, I'm old. <laughs> <laughs> So I got to make sure we've got resources. Oh my gosh. Well, you're leaving a legacy behind and I'm glad you're only semi-retiring. I'm going to hold on to that too, but that's great advice. And thank you for being so generous. So I hope people really reach out to you, nancy at attachment.org. You've got books, you've got your seminars, people can reach out and start there. And I think just reaching out to whatever resources are there, the hope that I have with the RAD community you being one of the pioneers, but I really think now there are some solid resources like you, Nancy Thomas out there. There's other ones popping up. We're on this kind of cusp of really good, positive change where people will have access to all different types of resources. There's lots of professionals and other rad parents out there making a difference in providing and um, so there's hope in that too. Do you find that? Have you noticed over your the entirety of your career? Have, what changes have you noticed or positive, I guess, changes are you noticing in the world of RAD and, and uh, any challenging parenting situations and children? Well, there's more awareness now. We had Karen Purvis, who, oh, amazing, amazing lady, really brought a lot of great awareness and she had some really fantastic solutions for the mild attachment disorder children and that really helped the whole awareness okay opening up the path because so many parents would call me when their child was 15 or 16 and they're like I just found out my child has rad when we've been in therapy for years and years and years and nobody ever mentioned it Mm -hmm. when they're adopted from Russia or somewhere I'm like Whoa, somebody really dropped the ball. But a lot of professionals didn't even know about it, even though the original research was done, what, like 70, 80 years ago? It was during World War II. Yeah. With Dr. John Bowlby did the original research. They called it the adopted child syndrome Mm -hmm. until Dr. Foster Klein named it attachment disorder. And then somebody put reactive on it, so it became rad. But the information has been out there for years and years. Mm-hmm. And now we've got this wonderful awareness that you're a part of that movement. And many others are bringing it there because the children are screaming for attention. Hello, screaming I need for help it, yeah. and you better find it. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Full. The Our kids, the parents. Full yeah. People that were in foster care didn't get the help they needed. So right. their babies now go into foster care. You know, the greatest indicator of if a child's going to go into foster care or not is if one of their parents was in foster care. Hmm. 80%. Mm-hmm. 80%. That means we're not doing it right. Not at all. The foster care system broken. Yes, it is. Mm-hmm, wonderful parents opening their heart and their homes to someone else's wounded child, not getting the resources, the support, and the training they deserve. Mm-hmm. I know mm-hmm. California there's some community colleges out there that are really putting out some great effort to getting training for those parents. But that's the only place in this country where foster parents are getting any decent training for helping our children. And that's the place that it really should start at because that's where it all goes down. And you're so right. I think it's a system working on such old values and old systems that are outdated. They don't work but they're still, that's how they're functioning. And they get these parents that are so willing. And, you know, I talk with a lot of parents too, and we all say, and I'm sure you've heard this, is that we wonder if the system or professionals are worried about mentioning reactive attachment and worried that people won't adopt if they really know what's happening. Yet you have all these parents who are saying, if absolutely we would, if we understand and know up front and we have the supports in place, absolutely. But that's the piece that's missing. And you know, what you were just saying about our, we adopted locally, domestically, and our daughter, we didn't find out that she had reactive attachment disorder until she was 15. And we're still struggling to to figure things out. But she was with us since nine. And 
the whole trajectory that you pointed out about the talk therapy, the everything, everything was wrong. Yeah. I mean, that still happens today. It does. Yeah. And it's a dysfunctional system, but you're exactly right. That's yeah. where we need to start right at adoption. Yeah. And one of the boards that I sit on, we have a lot of brilliant, brilliant people out there doing all they can. But one of the boards, they say, you know what should happen in adoption? When a child is placed with the family, the day they're placed, they should go to camp. <laughs> okay? Absolutely. Where somebody else is doing all the cooking and all the dishes, mm. and there's no cell phones and distractions. And they focus for a full week on learning parenting tools that help a wounded child, on understanding this child's heart got broken. And they need to have it healed. And then, you know, so we do training in the morning. Then in the afternoon, it's all trust-building activities, fun, fun, fun stuff, relationship-building games, and just quiet time together to just go for a walk and look at the birds or the alligators in Florida or whatever you got, you know, (laughs) away from the distractions of the world. Yeah. So, yeah, and they need a mental health assessment. Every child coming into foster care needs a mental health assessment immediately by a trained professional. Yes. A trained, yeah. You know what? I know you have a lot going on, but you need to get that going too, Nancy. (laughs) You can't retire. (laughs) You just can't. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm hoping getting the therapist trained. And we've got some, you know, psychologists and psychiatrists that have also signed on. Um, that are interested in the training. So I'm just hoping the more the people that are doing it pass on, you know, the therapists that are really great out there can pass on their tools, then more people can run with it and fine tune and and make it even more effective. Right. So like EMDR, we didn't used to have EMDR. No. And now that has speeded up the healing process when it's done right. Exactly. Some of them want to take them in another room away from the parents. No. Exactly. <laughs> so they're asking our children to open their heart to their deepest pain and fear, yeah. which is their history and their past, without their parents there to support them. They're supposed to go in with a stranger and mm-hmm. deal with it. I'm like, mm-hmm. uh, no, never. Exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think... So, we're doing some of the right things, but it's just that added piece and knowledge and awareness of, of how to work with children with this disorder. So good intentions. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Good intentions, just the wrong toolbox. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. So, and I had a, a question from a parent about when sometimes things don't work. So she has two children. Well, she has three children. One is a girl and two boys and the two boys share a room because they only have the room for the girl and the other room for the two boys. They both have rad and they're at each other all the time. And they know, she knows that they need to be apart. Is there anything she can do or in other situations like that, where, you know, you're supposed to do something, but you just can't. Oh yes, absolutely. And I'm glad you brought that up because that's one of the things I talked about, that foundation of safety being essential. These children will not heal. They cannot heal sharing a room with anyone else. So the healing can't even happen until the rooms are divided. Mm -hmm. And a lot of us aren't wealthy enough to have, you know, a 10-bedroom home or whatever kind of nonsense. But (laughs) we can put a divider right down the middle of the room. And we had so many children at one point because we had three birth children and then we had seven Rad children at a time, so what? it was you, you had know seven at a time. Bedrooms. Yeah, at one point seven was too <laughs> many for me. I liked three healthy children and four sick ones at a time was where my comfort zone was, and I I could manage that really well. Seven was a lot, but anyway, um, so we needed bedrooms. They couldn't share rooms. Right. We had a corner of the living room that had a window in it. So we walled it off and put a door in it and made a small bedroom. It just had room for a bed and a dresser. But, you know, they have to have two openings for fire safety and stuff. Mm -hmm. And uh, we had to get really creative, as any parent does. When their children are drowning, they find a way to make it happen. Yeah. And having a separate room is not a luxury with these children. It is a necessity. And they need to be separated tonight. Yeah. (laughs) Because they're going down the quicksand. They're going down the quicksand, but in saying that, that is a creative way. So even just a divider to make it separate is enough. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. 
floor to ceiling. It needs to be a legal size, you know, room and everything. But most bedrooms are way bigger than a family needs and you can do it. And sometimes, you know, there's only one window to the outside and you have to have two windows. So you put a window to the inside. Mm -hmm. So there's a door and a window, but you know, make sure you're within the legal zoning things and whatever kind of stuff, but you find a way to make sure the child's going to be safe. Right. And just work with what you've got. Mm -hmm. And I've had moms, dads where the child can't share a room. So they get the yoga mat and the sleeping bag in the living room. Mom or dad sleeps on the couch and child sleeps on the floor right next to them until they get the room set up. Right. Yeah. Hmm. A lot of creative solutions. That, the hiding in the closet, the dad hiding in the closet. <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> the closet dad, yes. <laughs> you can, the closet dad, yeah. You can make it, you know, I hate to say it, it's not fun, but I mean, there, you know, there's got to be a little bit of fun to it um, and that creativity oh, yes. and just making it work, it be right? a lot of fun to it. Yeah. Well, if, if it isn't fun, I tell parents they're doing it wrong. Yeah. I mean, that's the whole point why we have children. Right. Is to have fun with them. <laughs> I wanted to bake cookies and fly kites. Yes. And then I got this All those of, dreams. You know, yeah. yeah. And it's like, how do we get there? Yeah. And pretty soon you're like, why do people have children? They're terrible. Right. It's like, no, they're sick. Yeah. You know, and once we get them healthy, they're fantastic. And we can fly mm-hmm. in those kites mm-hmm. and bake the cookies and have picnics and go fishing. You know, but in the beginning, you don't give them a fish hook. <laughs> yeah, no, bad idea. bad idea. You know, <laughs> yeah, and there'll be boogers in the cookies, and you know, yeah. it's not going to work. So we got to get them healthy. And if we start now, if we start today and make that commitment, it takes the same time and energy to heal a child with the right tools as it does to watch them drown with the wrong ones. Wow. You're still going to be there. Yeah. And every day it's like, are we going to be moving forward? Are we going to be just like, oh, well, we'll keep doing the same thing wrong over and over, which, right. you know, is the definition of insanity. Insanity. <laughs> so, yeah, it's time for new tools. Time to really step in there. If it isn't working, don't do it anymore. Do something else. Right. When you and reach out. Into therapy, yeah. Yeah. You take them into therapy a couple of two, three times, you're not seeing a major improvement in their behavior at home. You got the wrong therapist. They have the wrong toolbox. Don't Don't waste your time. Yeah. Yeah. And there's no pill for rad. No pill for rad. No. I wish there was. Yeah. There's no medication. No. And that's why a lot of the, you know, psychiatrists or whatever don't want to prescribe it because they don't have an answer. Mm -hmm. They don't have a pill. It's all hard work. Hard work. But it's awesome. It's awesome. You know, and a lot of things are coming to mind now too. I know that myself included, the heartbreaking piece is you see the potential and that beautiful person inside of this hurting child. And everybody just wants so badly for them to see it and bring it out for it, that person to come to come alive and come out hearing your suggestions and all of the resources that are available give so much hope. And I liked how you said, no matter where you're at, just start and don't waste your time, you know, just keep modifying, keep moving forward. That helps keep the hope alive. And I think also keeps the parents from falling down that quicksand of just, well, we'll keep trying, you know, this is a therapist. They must know. Mm -mm. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Sometimes they just don't know. We don't see results with a dentist if we have a sore tooth. We don't keep going to the same dentist right. over and over. We go, yeah, what? This hurts. I need a right. new dentist. Right. I'm not fixing it. We need to do the same with our mental health. Yeah. Two important things, if I can remember them, because my brain always shuts off at certain points. But <laughs> one thing is, I think, just reminding people to figure out a way to separate yourself from. Because as parents, we become entrenched. I talk with a lot of parents. And like you're saying, I think we we take on all of those same traits, that hypervigilance. I hear and talk with parents who are talking a mile a minute, you know, living it. And so just even having the awareness yourself to find a way or start working towards separating yourself from the disorder and the, the child from the disorder 
so that you don't get sucked into that quicksand and start circling that drain along with everybody else. Right. Well, and I hear you. When I have a mom who's talking a mile a minute, just pouring her heart out as fast as she can, it's like a panic. Yes. Like she's in a panic. Please hear me. Please believe me. Right. Please. I'm going down this quicksand and I need a lifeline. Yeah. And a lot of times it's because nobody's listening to her. Mm-hmm. Nobody's hearing her heart screaming for help. Mm-hmm. And when she gets somebody like you who understands, like, I hear you. Yep. Because right. other people say, oh, all children do that. Not to the level ours do. Not at all. You know, oh, they'll <laughs> get over it. No, they get sicker. I mean, because they don't understand reactive attachment disorder. Okay, so when they understand RAD and they're listening, then they get, oh, yeah, oh, I remember that. Oh, yeah, that's terrible. And then when we team up, like you're pulling people together here in this podcast, then they're not alone and they don't go into a panic. It's like, okay, it's not me. I'm not crazy. (laughs) Yeah. Maybe you are for still loving the child, but we'll take that. (laughs) It's yeah. a good thing. Okay. It's a good thing. <laughs> yeah. It's a good thing. And I think help is needed on all levels. You were talking about how therapy is important and how about bonding and family is important and parenting. And I find that one place, the parents are the last to take care of themselves. You're right. I'm, I fail at that all the time. Right. I mean, That's why I was in intensive care three times last year. Mm. Uh, Yeah, we all take care of ourselves. We have a drowning Mm. child. We aren't going to worry about our new shoes. Mm -mm. We're going to dive in the pool and pull them out of the water. And people say, no, 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 you need to take care. Well, yeah, but how? Exactly. When your child is literally drowning, unless you have a lifeguard right there that you can go, would you please dive in and save my child because you swim better than I do? Exactly. Or whatever. But having that, trained respite provider. We need many, many more of them. I've trained some out there. But when you find somebody who can be that no-nonsense, strong person that Mm -hmm. you can, you know, call for that emergency, that it makes a huge difference to where you feel your child is safe there. Right. Rather than, oh, if I send her there, she's going to come back and that'd be a nightmare because they don't do it right. And they believe the lies and whatever stuff. Right. So, yeah, it's so hard to say I need to take care of myself. I know I need to take care of myself and I can't leave my drowning child. Yeah. 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 And I think it's finding that balance in both is that you can still be there for your child, but you can't be there if you aren't there. And so finding that balance of caring for yourself, getting what you need, and then also being able to be there, be there for the kids. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you're making me think over here and I'm trying to think, how do I manage to take care of myself? You know what? Mm -hmm. I have a couple of good friends. My one really dear friend, Judy, She's amazing, amazing. Mm. She'll, you know, spend time with me and she'll go, are you taking your 5-HTP? No. (laughs) I can tell. Or she'll say, "Um, I made an appointment. We're both going to the chiropractor on Wednesday. You need to set aside the time where, you know, and she's just so sweet and she just will lead me back on to taking care of myself when I'm like giving, giving, giving Mm -hmm. and not giving and taking in a healthy balance. Right. And my husband, is the same he's like come on you need to put your feet up we're gonna eat in the living room put your feet up you know I'm like okay (laughs) you know yep you need somebody to take care of you for a little bit you can't be strong all the time right and you need those people who will take care of you sometimes yeah yeah Yeah. reminders because they love you yeah it's very helpful Mm -hmm. very well Nancy I know I've taken up a lot of your time is there anything that you would like to share that I didn't know enough to ask or any, just anything you feel compelled to share? I think you asked the right questions. I can't think of anything else you need to ask, but one thing that I really like to share is my appreciation to the parents, their love and their energy and efforts and time that they're pouring out to help this wounded child is priceless for our world. Our society has huge problems with violence, and each one of those parents that are listening to your podcast are the ones who care. They're taking the time to hear and look for answers and search for solutions. And those 
we need to honor them. We should be laying rose petals at their feet mm-hmm. for continuing to search for help and loving that child and caring enough to keep looking when they're, they are weary, they are worn out. And I just want to say thank you, thank you, thank you to those parents because their children won't thank them yet. Right. Someday they will. That's everybody's hope. And I want to thank you for the many, many hours you put into this podcast. I know there's a lot of behind the scenes work. Right. Not just, you know, chat with somebody for a little bit and move. No, but that's true. You, you've invested a yeah. chunk of your life to helping parents. And that's priceless to the rest of our world. So thank you. Thank you so much, Tracy. You're awesome. Well, thanks to you too. I appreciate that so much. And I really do think it takes a village. And I I love hearing about other parents that are stepping up and knowing about you being one of the pioneers and everything you've laid down for us. And I'm so happy to hear that you're only semi-retiring and that you've got these people to carry on this great legacy And uh, you're just a fantastic resource. And I just really want to encourage people and remind people to reach out to Nancy, head to her website, attachment.org, email her at nancy at attachment.org, get those free webinars and all that free information, take advantage because this is, this is one of our biggest lifelines. You're, you're a huge lifeline and thank you for investing your entire life And I can tell you're so passionate about it and that you keep doing it. I'm just so glad. And I think everybody listening is just so appreciative of all the information you've talked about today and just to know that you're out there and for everything that you're doing for us. Oh, thank you, Tracy. You rock. (laughs) Right back at you. Thanks for listening, everyone. And I hope you'll be back to listen to future episodes. If you like the show, please subscribe and help me spread the word by clicking share and like. If you're a parent who needs more support, whether it's for you or your family, please check out my website at radtalkwithtracy.com and visit radadvocates.org.